Welcome to the College Football Connection, your taste of all the college football action going on this week. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes, we hate that team up north, and we've got way too much to say. We're joined by the one and only Zach Smith, also known as Menace to Sports, to give us the behind the scenes and some expert insights on the action. Zach, great to have you and great to see you this last week. Let's get this kicked off. You know, we have a very, very tough episode we have to do this week. <laughs> yeah, let's just get it over with. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And uh, look, there's no sugarcoating this thing. The last two years, Michigan has whooped Ohio State's ass. Um, these games have not been competitive. <laughs> and they may be competitive for moments, but they haven't been competitive. Zach, let's start with like the basics. Um, what happened in this game? Well, it, it was a very different ass beating, right? Like last year, you watched defensively. Michigan just imposed their will on, on Ohio State's defense. And it was, it was painful to watch because it was every play. They were just bludgeoning Ohio State. And, and it was never about toughness. Um, I, they, they've, they've, I cannot say that either team is tougher than the other, other than maybe some mental toughness issues on finishing and, and, and closing out plays and games. But you look at this game and Jim Knowles' game plan, and I know everyone talks about the five explosive plays. They had 350 yards and 35 points on five plays over 45 yards. That's absurd for two reasons. One, this defense hasn't been giving up explosive plays, and even more so, Michigan's offense hasn't been creating explosive plays. That's not been their method. And so I think Jim Knowles was caught off guard with, with how that happened. And, you know, we could talk about each play individually, how it happened, but this game was so different from last year because outside of those five plays, I mean, Michigan averaged 2.8 yards per carry. J.J. McCarthy was 9 of 21 for 74 yards at 3.5 yards per attempt. So it's – Jim Knowles' defense worked. If, if you yeah. just can eliminate a couple of those big plays, and, and I would contend that the two runs at the end of the game were on the offense as much as the defense because Ryan Day's offense shut down. I mean – Jesse uh, Minter, the defensive coordinator at Michigan, has been unbelievable. I think he averages 2.8 points in the second half for his opponents the last seven games, and he shut, shut the entire offense down. They couldn't do anything. I mean, three points in the second half is atrocious. You're never going to win a game if you do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you on what you're saying with, um, with Jim Knowles, but the thing is that, that kind of frustrated me was, you know, same thing Urban said at halftime. Um, once they get the first big playoff, the second big pass playoff, we know our personnel. We know how bad our secondary has played all year against lesser opponents. Um, and also, yes, it isn't supposed to happen where a team gets five 60-plus yards plays on you. That That is troubling to swallow, no matter how well you played the rest of the game from a defensive side of the ball. But I also think this is on on the offense. I just did not understand the offensive game plan in this contest at all. This is a reoccurring theme of our offense against Michigan. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It wasn't good. 
there's two fourth down calls in which in a game like this, you have to go for it. They didn't happen. It was like we were playing offensively scared to lose. And then even on the offensive side, all of a sudden we're seeing a running back who played well, by the way. They hadn't really played all season. We had a great week last week from Dallin. He barely touched the field. It's like the game plan was simple for us. Continue to run the ball. I didn't understand Marvin Harrison not ever getting in those short yardage situations. Why aren't we just throwing slant passes to Marvin Harrison? Whoever was guarding him couldn't cover him. It was just so many things that were so frustrating to watch from the offensive side of the ball. I agree. The defense, for the most part, did its part. If the offense had done its part, this game probably would have ended ended in the second half. We had an opportunity to win this game late in the first quarter, second quarter. We didn't take advantage of that. Michigan came out in the second half and blew the brakes off. And I think there's a there's a lot of reflection we need to do because Jim Harbaugh did not outcoach Urban Meyer in any of these games. He did not outcoach Jim Trussell in these games. So I don't know if there's there's a lot of information that can be gleaned from those two gentlemen too on how to not allow this to continue to happen. Yeah, I think it really just comes down to to quarterback play. Honestly, I mean, so many of the plays that I watch on TV. I said, what, is, what are we doing, Ryan? What is that play call? Then I watched yeah. the film, and I'm like, oh, that was an RPO. They, they have four guys over two, and CJ threw it. He has an unloaded run box. Hand the ball off, CJ. Like That's, that's what his job is, to throw the RPO if, if they load the box. If they unload the box, hand it off. And there's so many times where you, you're watching the film with scratching your head like, what is, what is CJ doing? Like, yeah. Whether... I don't, I don't know who needs the heat. I guess Ryan ultimately is the guy. He's the quarterback coach, quarterback developer. But this program looks vastly different with C.J. Stroud running the offense. And essentially, I mean, the whole team takes on the personality of your quarterback than it did Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins or J.T. Barrett. It just looks – the whole program looks different. Yeah, and just, just to add to that too, um, I was actually I had the pleasure of being in the shoe for this one. And one of the things that was surprising to me uh, it's been a decade since I saw a game in the shoe, I'm pretty sure. So, and the last one I went to was actually the 2012 Michigan-Ohio State game that, that you were at, Zach. Um, yeah. So totally different outcome. That was the first urban year. And the weird thing was hearing how many of the fans were upset every time we would run the ball. And that's like not something I'm used to with Ohio State fans. It's like we get a five-yard run down the side, a six-yard run down the side. And people are like booing around me, like, pass the ball. What are you doing? And I was just like, what? Since when, since when did we in the Big Ten as Ohio State fans stop loving the run the ball up the middle and grind yeah. it out through a game? Like, yeah, what is that? It's not just about running the ball, right? It's about, it, it almost seems like in this offense, the run is just to make sure it's known that we're doing it. It's not, it doesn't seem like, okay. This is the game plan in this game. It never feels that way unless we're forced to. Like if in, a, in the second half against Maryland, we were forced to acknowledge that. And Zach, I think you bring up a really, really good point about CJ Stroud. Um, watching not just this game, but the same things that you say about his fear of running the ball in key situations also shows in the passing game. I almost never see a situation where pressure comes where. CJ steps up into the pocket 
and then makes the throw. Right. He's always like backtracking. Like it's like playing Tecmo Bowl sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> he runs 15 yards backwards, throwing it off his back foot because he trusts his arm strength so much. And anyone knows that's a recipe for disaster. That's what caused those turnovers late in the game. And it's like, it's, that's something that I think has to happen in his development. And I don't know if this has to do with the new age of coaching or you can't coach guys hard anymore, but that's like a basic tenet of quarterback play that they teach that he consistently doesn't follow. Well, and you look at it, and I've always been of the opinion that you have to coach your quarterbacks hard. You have to be extremely hard on them. And Tom Herman was to JT Barrett. I mean, Dan Mullen was to Tim Tebow, Chris Leak. You know, it's just, I believe that you have to be that way. And the other aspect of this this, this team that is just a head scratcher for me is the wideouts inability, inability to block. And I think you yeah. bring up a good point that the, the NILs, money, the transfer portal, it's like, can you really, because I, I did it. I did it for 12 years. You have yeah. to coach wideouts like offensive linemen to get them to block well. You do, because they don't want to do it. They're all prima donnas. They're all soft. They're all, mm. you know, it is what it is. That's the only way to get them to do it. I don't know if you can do that nowadays. Now, I've seen, there are teams out there that they have wideouts that block, but to get a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, to be great blockers, you have to coach them really hard. And I don't know if you can. I don't know if Brian Hartline has the ability to do that nowadays because you know you Mm -hmm. you mf a kid one time and he's just like forget this i'm I'm going to bama (laughs) yeah i mean and i think this is this this you know the comparisons to cooper are being thrown out there but this is very similar culturally we got national recruits with with john cooper some of the best recruiting classes uh every single year but the culture was not a tough culture it was bring these guys in to be stars And it also has something to do, I think, if you look at it, this team has the fewest number of Ohio kids of any team um, in a long time at Ohio State. I am a complete fan that we're getting these top flight quarterbacks that we hadn't gotten in the past, that our receiver recruiting, we're getting the five stars. but, But what's missing is once they get to campus, these aren't the kids that you can coach First of all, they come from a, a West Coast system. You don't have to deal with games in November against Michigan and Wisconsin out there in the West Coast. C.J. Stroud didn't deal with that as a quarterback. These receivers don't have to deal with that. And in addition, when you mentioned on the receivers, it's not just the blocking. I don't know if any of these guys can really run routes no. outside of Marvin Harrison. But if that's the case, that's the thing that was even a bigger head scratcher. You know you have a 1A receiver who is the best receiver in the country. When Clemson whooped our ass, what did they do? They just fed their number one receiver over and over and over again and just said, go win this game for us. Why doesn't that happen? On on fourth and three, why isn't the read just slant to Marvin? Even if you're going to throw a quick throw, why isn't it slant to Marvin Harrison every time? I can't wrap my head head around why this is happening. (laughs) I also also want to call out, um, there were a few things that I saw from from the stands that I don't think I would have seen on the TV broadcast, but there were about uh, three to four different um, different pass plays where CJ had looked and gone screen after his you know second or third read, and the guy gets essentially through to a guy who a defender is like about to hit the crap out of him. Uh, in several of those possessions, to your point earlier, V Marvin Harrison Jr. was quite wide open downfield. And I was really surprised 
at the lack of usage to kind of add on to that point of somebody with that talent, especially when you look at who we were, you know, last year as a team with Olave and with Wilson, like again, like two, two guys who stepped in the NFL and immediately have proven that they're, they're that good. You know, it, it shouldn't be that hard um, to lean into somebody like that from a game plan perspective, especially when, like we acknowledged last week, secondary is one of Michigan's biggest weaknesses on defense. And it was, yeah, is definitely very strange to say the least. And, you know, from my view as well, it looked like the volume of the crowd caused confusion on the Ohio State side throughout the game, which you typically don't expect to see at a home game. You yeah. typically expect a little bit more comfort, but they almost looked like they were playing an away game in the body language and demeanor that I was looking at. Yeah, it's it. It's just I I I, I get a lot of uh, pushback on this when I say it, but I'm, I think I'm officially done with California quarterbacks. I, I <laughs> Bryce Young is the anomaly. Like, yes, just like any other, you know, area of the country, there's going to be one every now and then that's like, wow, this kid's really competitive, has a lot of fire. But overall, I mean, you look at DJ Uyungle at Clemson, you look at CJ Stroud here at Ohio State, and just you know, all over the place. Caleb Williams is a Midwest kid. He's out. He's out in LA right now, killing it. And you look at just from DC area, right? Right. From he's from the DMV. You look at it and you say, "All right, give me a Dwayne Haskins from the DMV. Give me a Justin Fields from Georgia. Give me a JT Barrett from Texas." Like these California kids are just built different, and I think it's fine. Michael Thomas was one of my best players I've ever had. It's fine for a receiver, but quarterbacks have to be square jaw, tough, fuck energy givers. They can't be yeah. this. Dopey face, like, oh man, well, you know, I, I worked hard and, um, you know, it's unfortunate that this game, you know, is going to define me. It's like, no, 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 it's not unfortunate. That's the way of life. And if you don't yeah. like it, don't play quarterback at Ohio State. It's, I, I just. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's important. Like you brought up an earlier point, Zach. And obviously, you know, this, this is a tough spot for you because I know. Um, that you really have, a, you got, you actually worked with Ryan Day extensively. You know him as a person. You know what he represents, and and you consider him a friend. Um, and all those things are great. But I'm questioning too. And you know, this is this is a tough love segment. Um, is the sense the same issue that we have with NIL is the same issue that we talk about extensively on this program about coaching? There isn't much accountability that's built into these coaching contracts around winning. You see it happen. Like he got a raise last year from six and a half to 9 million after losing the Michigan game and performing poorly in the college football playoff. I don't think that that's the precedent that should be set as a program, regardless, just because you're trying to keep up and not lose the guy to whatever other program is going to give him $9 million. Hey, Ryan, you know, there's an escalator in your contract, but you have to finish above this record. You have to beat Michigan or, or win against a top 25 team. I don't think coaches are being accountable, held accountable. I'm not saying that, that Ryan isn't, doesn't feel the pressure of the Michigan game, but it doesn't seem like that same pressure is there in the way that we execute in these games. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an industry problem, really. I mean, I don't think it's an Ohio State problem. I don't think it was a Gene Smith problem. I mean, the – with the the kind of the the standard that was set this last offseason with Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU and Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC 
it, it truly has changed the market. And I mean, you look at Ryan Day, he has a $54 million buyout. It's half of what Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo yeah. Fisher. I mean, it's so it's just the industry is screwed up, but you know, it's a fair market. If you, if you don't want to pay him that because he didn't beat Michigan, you run the risk of, you know, God knows who, Auburn hiring him, right? And which, yeah. you know, five, 10 years ago, that no coach would ever leave Ohio State for Auburn. I don't care how, what the contract was going to be. That just didn't happen. Yeah. 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 It's, just, it's, it's just one of those scenarios where I think, you know, we're all from the Midwest. When you perform poorly, none of our parents didn't hold us accountable, right? That's a that's that's the reality here. Ryan Day needs to be held accountable. He gets paid a lot of money. The most important thing at Ohio State is beating Michigan. And also there are some questions that need to be asked about is this the culture that's right for Ohio State football because and, and it's not just him, it's the fact that the Big 10 is getting better. You're bringing in Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. Wisconsin isn't going to have a toughness issue. You're bringing Matt Rule into Nebraska. They're not. They're going to be better just because of the way that he coaches. You've got USC and UCLA coming in, and I'm not a proponent of blaming NIL to say you can't coach hit kids hard. Alabama hasn't stopped coaching kids hard because they're getting boatloads of NIL money. You know, yeah. so there is a standard culturally, and I think these kids want what they want more than anything is to perform well at whatever college they go to and go on to the NFL and be prepared to be a great NFL player. And we've got to address the culture at Ohio State because what happened in this Michigan game is we got out tough mm-hmm. two years in a row. This wasn't about talent. We had more talent. Those kids on the Michigan side of the ball played harder, played tougher, and played more disciplined. We had two personal foul penalties for no reason that back practice in good situations in the game as well. And that goes back to culture and discipline. Are kids being held accountable when they're having these outbursts in practice? And if not, they have to be. And if that means we lose a couple five-star kids and we get the three-star that, that coaches develop into a four or five-star, I would rather have that than get every top five uh, prospect in the country. And if you look at draft boards and you see how few of these guys that are five-stars coming out of high school actually go on to the NFL, that doesn't mean anything. It, everything is about what happens with those kids when they go to the program that they go to. You can be a five-star and, and be out of college football in two years if you don't do the work. Yeah, I want to I wanna add, um, add a thought here. So this is something I saw going around social media. Uh, it was this, this question of, would you rather beat your rival every year or would you rather lose to your rival but have a guaranteed national championship, I think, every five years or something like that, right? And it was just really interesting because it, it got me thinking a lot about uh, different programs value their rivalries differently versus national championships. And at Ohio State, it's I feel like it's always been beat Michigan first. And then if we win the national championship, that's great. But in a year like this, there's still a lot of unpredictability ahead of us. If by some chance, you know, USC loses or TCU loses or some weird, weird things happen, LSU beats Georgia or whatever, and we end up finding Ohio State in the college football playoff, is there a scenario where there's possible redemption? And, you know, I think kind of from a program perspective, other than the record, like, what are the indicators of this this program demonstrating, you know, the, the kind of toughness that I think the fan base is asking for? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... <clears throat> 
that we need to see Ohio State, like kind of getting back to V's point, we need to see them run the football. We need to see this defense shut down offenses like we have at times. And, and we need to see these players make plays. I mean, you look at the three big plays in the secondary and you had a, a perfectly executed defense. I mean, it was an all-out blitz. They forced J.J. McCarthy to kind of go backwards and throw it, check it down essentially to an eight-yard little stop route, and it's short of the sticks. Cam Brown comes up, and it's right there. Defense worked perfectly. Kid misses the tackle just because he hesitates and doesn't shoot. And it's like those little things need to – you need they need to learn to finish. And, and, and it's, I think it's more of a mental toughness thing than anything. But as far as the, the you know redemption and all of that, I mean – Certainly, if USC or TCU loses, Ohio State will get the four seed. Then they have to go through Georgia. If they can beat Georgia to get to that rematch, we'll have a whole other conversation. I don't know if they're capable of doing that. But no matter what happens, getting beat at home in the horseshoe in the rivalry game the way that they did, that's not going away. I don't care if they win the rematch. I don't care if they win the national championship. That's still going to be there. That was the worst home loss since 1976 for Ohio State against Michigan. It's the most... It's the most, the most big plays by any rival in this rivalry. This doesn't happen. You don't get five, 50 plus, whatever yard breakaway plays. And, and to your point, um, Zach, is people are trying to pour on, oh, this is Knowles. I don't think it was Knowles either because he did try to run a cover two zone at one point, and both the corner and the safety got burnt in a cover two zone. How does that even happen? You know, like the, the the big play, I forget which which receiver it was that, that he made. It was it was on his own coverage. Yeah, it was. You yeah. know, and the, yeah, and just, to, yeah, just I mean, it, all, uh, it comes down to one out. thing. It always does. Whether you play press man, zero coverage, cover two, it doesn't matter. You're going to have a kid in a one on one situation, and he has to win. And that's just what it is. And there was three times in the throw game that Ohio State didn't win. Every other snap, I mean, the corners, the corners didn't even, they let up one, I mean, that one play was the only play the corners allowed all game. Denzel Burke played outstanding, defending back shoulder fades, defending, defending over the top throws. I thought the corners played exceptional, you know, especially if you just forget about that one tackle that was missed. And the safeties, mm-hmm. it, I think the one coaching thing that's confusing for me is why was Cam Martinez in the game? When he <laughs> got scorched on that, on that post route, why was he in the game? He played four snaps against Maryland and got, beat for two touchdowns. He played four snaps in this game and got scorched on a touchdown too. I mean, Lathan Ransoms, I get it. The kid ran a corner. He jumped it and it ended up being a double move. You're going to give that up if you're going to play aggressive coverage. Double moves, if, if, the kid has, if the quarterback has time to throw it, they're going to get you. Otherwise, you're going to play softer and people are going to bitch that they just, you're just completing 10-yard passes all the time. But it, Cam Martinez being on the field, I question that one. Yeah, yeah and, I, and this, the same thing on the other side of the ball. It's almost like we're spooked by this game how we thought Harbaugh was spooked by it because take us into the decision to start, um, or not start, but give Tryannon the majority of the carries in a situation that he hadn't really played all season. You had a running back last week that showed that he can win in a ground and pound style. I liked how he played. I liked the kid's toughness. Um, but I didn't, I didn't get it. And if you are going to do it, you have three capable backs. Mayan Williams was playing. Brianna was playing well. Dolan, why, didn't, why wouldn't we just it, – it's very confusing, that decision, and to not go for it on, on two fourth down opportunities when you're supposedly have this explosive offense tells me that we were a little spooked even, even by this game, the pressure of this game. Um, 
and, and not making sure we didn't lose versus playing to win. Yeah, and the only thing about the fourth, the the one, the most critical fourth down where, where they ended up sending the punt team on when CJ was trying to call the punt team off. I mean, to Ryan's credit, he called a fake punt and because he, they, they had found something on film that they felt like this was a no-brainer. And you watch the clip, and I mean, they're going to snap the ball to the up-back, Mitch Rossi, and he's going to run a sweep to the left with Tommy, Tommy Eichenberg leading. And it is, I mean, the hole is the size of this studio. I mean, he's probably going to hit his head on the goalpost and score. Why the long snapper didn't snap the ball to him, I have no idea. I mean, it's it, yeah. one of the most confusing plays I've seen on film where he snap it to the punter and the punter's like shocked that he got the ball. And he just, they're not blocking for the punt. They have three free guys rushing. And honestly, Jesse Murko gets that punt off by an act of God. Like he deserves so that much credit that, for not that having that, that terrible punt terrible punt in the first quarter, right? Oh, yeah. For, and, and first first so, half, yeah. It was, that. that's the play where I'm like, what happened? Like, what is that? Yeah, yeah. There's 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 head scratchers, and I think, Arthur, you bring up a good point um, about there's still being potential to be in the playoff. I don't I don't think that in that game, and quite frankly, if I were on that committee looking at how 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 Ohio State lost that game versus how Alabama's closing out the season in the SEC in a tough conference, they've played a tough schedule. It's going to be a real debate in that room. I think Ohio State wins out, as you said, Zach, but it's not going to be, oh, it's just there's going to be a real conversation on which of these two teams they're going to put in. And never mind if um, what what happens in this game is a big deal, but we don't want what I saw on the field and what I've seen all season. When you talk about toughness, the one team in the country you don't want to play if you're not tough is Georgia. Georgia will embarrass us. If we and I don't think that we can change the culture of the of the team in four weeks, you know what I mean. Oh, so no. that that's the that's the challenge. Would you rather to, to extend your your question? I would ask you guys this question: Would you guys rather not be in the college football playoff or go in with what we saw and play a Georgia team and get blown out of the water and have another embarrassment? Which yeah. would you guys rather see? Just to say we were in the playoffs. We and we had that a few years back. I I can't remember the year specifically, but I remember there it was like like four or five years ago. We got into the playoff, and I remember everyone was just like, "We shouldn't be in this playoff. Like we're not we're not good enough to." Oh, to it was twenty sixteen. Yeah, that's right, and that was that was a rough year. And you know, this time around, I mean, it's very similar. I think the thing that was really tough to watch as a fan was the way that the team mentally collapsed at the end of the game mm-hmm. because. I think everybody in that stadium knew, hey, if we were to lose, say, by three, right? Like, and any of the drives that we had that we should have converted on, had we scored in the second half or in the first half, there were two missed drives that we should have scored on. If in any of those drives we had scored, it would have been, I think, a one-point game, not an eight-point game, or a three-point game, not a not a ten-point game, right, in in the third quarter. And it it would have led to completely different kind of attitudes energy on both sides let it led to a totally different type of close but if we have the type of team that when they're down you know 15 they don't think they can get back into the game you know i we've watched bryce young get back into the game in that scenario many times in his career already you know this season and last season to the point you were making about alabama v and i think like that's the thing that's disappointing as a fan base is to watch them choke away 
the ending of, of that game when a close finish would have probably kept us at the four seat above uh, above USC. There's no doubt. And, and when you watch any NFL game, right, or, or like you said, the Alabama game, you always look at a game in the fourth quarter, five minutes left, four minutes left, like, oh, man, they gave Bryce Young too much time. Like, oh, man, they gave Josh Allen too much time. They gave Patrick Mahomes too much time. Never once have you ever felt like, oh, man, they gave C.J. Stroud too much time. He's got too much time. He's going to light him up and win the game. I've never felt that way one game. Yeah. yeah. But to to your question, V, I'm of the opinion, because of how bowl games go nowadays, they're essentially a glorified spring game if you don't make the playoffs. I, I would love to see this Ohio State team go play in the Rose Bowl, go play against whoever, UCLA, doesn't matter, or maybe match up with Alabama in a Sugar Bowl. And I want to see next year's team. Like, I'm ready. I'm, yeah. move, I'm moved on. I'm done with C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. I'm done with the offense. I want to see, you know, let's see what Kyle McCord does. Let's see what he looks like yes. when he actually plays a whole game. Yeah, I think I think it's a, it's important for us to to accept what we always pound the table with in, in this podcast. And Zach, you do it on your podcast. The four best teams in America to go to the college football playoff. I'm I fully believe in that. And honestly, I can't in conscience say that this Ohio State team deserves to be in the college football playoff more than a two loss Alabama. It's not just about wins and losses. It's about when you watch these teams play. Alabama finished the season when they took that loss and everybody said, oh, their playoff hopes are done. We had the conversation on the podcast. What do they do from here? Bryce Young didn't quit. Nick Saban didn't quit. They came out and said, hey, it doesn't matter. We're still Alabama. And to your point, Partha, what was really frustrating about the end of this game is we did not have that, hey, we're Ohio State in us. If you looked at C.J. Stroud's body language, it was defeated. You knew he was going to turn the ball over before he even turned the ball over. Mm-hmm. It, on, on both of those plays, he could have run for those that yardage in, in, in many of those scenarios, and he didn't do it. And it's just frustrating to see. And, you know, now the other thing that I, I, I saw in the game, Zach, and you, you can explain this to me, even on, in the throws that he completed, it was always a broken play after the route three has route had broken down, guys coming back to the ball to save C.J. Stroud. What was he looking at? I know guys were open in some of those scenarios, but it just seemed like he wasn't processing well either in this game. Yeah, he, he wasn't. He was off. He was off all game. But I think the other part of it is kind of a more philosophical problem, right? It's no different than business, life, or anything else, a marriage. There's times when Julian Fleming's running a stop route. Let's say it's a 12-yard stop route. C.J. Stroud, to be on time, has to trust that Julian Fleming's going to run that stop route at 12 yards, get out of it in four steps and, and be efficient and be where he's supposed to be exactly when he's supposed to be. And all year long, we've watched that extra hesitation because he doesn't necessarily trust that Julian's going to be there. Not, not to pick on Julian. It's been all of them, really, even Marvin Harrison Jr. when he runs, you know, other routes other than deep, deep balls, right? Goes and posts yeah. and things like that, where it's timing routes. CJ has been hesitant to get rid of that ball on time because he doesn't trust it because he doesn't have three first rounders playing receiver right now that have been so efficient and so productive and so reliable, honestly. Yeah. And I I also got to say like this whole situation just lets you know what we had with Justin Fields, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like that was such an iconic set of offensive players that, you know, all played together. I mean, 
just thinking back to it gives me chills just compared to what we witnessed because it was a completely different level of play, a different level of toughness. And, you know, seeing what each of these guys is doing in the NFL, just lighting it up at a young age is just it's it's for the proof of that. Um, I want to ask you guys, do you think, you know, uh, maybe how far do you think CJ has uh, dropped his draft stock? Because at the beginning of the season, he was arguably number one, number two pick. And I think it's not just the collapse, but the way he handled the media after the game, not really taking any accountability, not really owning up to the loss when you are the leader of that team. How much does that scare away NFL scouts? I mean, you answer for a sec. Ultimately, the NFL doesn't care. They feel like yeah. college coaches are subpar, they're average, and they'll take a guy like CJ Stroud and watch him throw in shorts and a t shirt at a pro day and go, wow, this kid's arm talent is crazy. We're drafting him number one overall because we can make him a competitor. That's mm. what they truly believe. And you see it year in, year out at every position. They draft guys, you're like, huh? You do you not see what I see? And then sure enough, that's why there's so many first round busts because it's those kids that you're like, yeah, that kid didn't really have it though. He didn't have it up here. He didn't have it in here. And that's where, I mean, the NFL is still going to value CJ extremely high because of his arm talent. That's not going away. Yeah. I mean, the NFL, when it comes to evaluating QB talent, they're not very good at it. No. The history shows it. Um, and part of it is, is that ego um, that you're talking about, but Zach, even just Look at what's happening with Zach Wilson. I feel like CJ has a lot of the same traits as Zach Wilson. I'm not, I don't want to jump on the kid because what I do want to see is because he's an Ohio State kid, I would love to see him elevate and become an NFL quarterback. But to do that, somebody needs to hold him accountable for the toughness factor. And, and what you said, Partha, about Justin Fields, look at what this kid does. He, you will never question his toughness. Never. The way that he finishes games. Is And that's what you expect from your quarterback, how your quarterback behaves in those scenarios. It's cool to stay cool, calm, and collected, but sometimes you got you to gotta get in people's asses. Even if you look at Stetson Bennett in Georgia, he has nowhere near the talent as a C.J. Stroud. But he rallies his troops as the quarterback of that team in scenarios that matter. So to, to what Zach's saying, I don't think he's still going to be a top 15 just because they're going to be like, look at this kid's arm talent. But you look and you cop him to Justin Fields, and you see what happened to Justin Fields in that draft. He dropped below Zach Wilson. He dropped below, you know, Mac Jones. I don't mind the Mac Jones pick, but Justin Fields in that pre-draft, he had the highest score ever recorded on the Wonderlick test. And you look at the physical talent, they're like, oh, he was, he was, he was an RPO quarterback. We don't know if he can if he can throw, but the truth is, if you watch Justin Fields throw, he can make more of the throws than CJ can by standing in the pocket and making the throw. The issue in Chicago is he doesn't have much talent around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just this happens time and time again. And even if you comp the two OSU QBs, I guarantee the hype in pre-draft is going to be higher for Justin for for CJ Stroud than it was for Justin. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well said. Well said. Um, I also, you know, kind of moving moving away from this game. Um, I watched that USC game that night against Notre Dame, and watching the way Caleb Williams moves and energizes the field and his team, uh, man, that 
that was special, man. That kid's got got something really crazy going on. And I know I've been a, a little bit of a Caleb Williams hater this season, but I'm now on the bandwagon. This kid can really freaking play, and that offense is really grooving. To your point, V, you said you want to see the four best teams in college football. I'd rather see USC after what I saw this weekend than Ohio State because it'll just be a better a better game against Georgia. Yeah. The one issue with this, and there's an argument for, we'll see how this TCU-Kansas State game plays out. But if TCU you know, beats the brakes off of Kansas State, they definitely deserve that spot. But it's hard for me to believe that the fourth best team is an element right now, just based on track record. Two losses definitely suck. LSU choked it away. They would have probably got in over over TSU if they didn't choke it away the way they did this weekend. But yeah, I want to see USC play. Like the quarter, they they're they're playing well, and you can't argue that the Pac-12, at least from a ranking standpoint, and the games that I saw, they have some good teams in that in that conference. We'll see what they do, and if they beat Utah, they should be the three seed. Absolutely, they should. Yeah, and I gotta say too, like the TCU one's interesting because that's uh, that's the other Riley, that's Lincoln Riley's younger brother, who's the offensive coordinator there. So that's mm-hmm. there's a nice little narrative there for those two to face off as well, if if we'll see it. But uh, I je- I definitely think TCU might be a little bit tougher than we all think they are because they've had so many of these close games. It's looked like they weren't going to win, but like we saw this weekend, um, you know, with the Ohio state game, like teams that get it done, regardless of how pretty it is, are the ones that stand at the end, the ones that have the toughness. And it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, how close your wins were, as long as you got the job done. You know, I, I think TCU has a surprising amount of toughness and I'm hoping that they exhibit that during the playoffs and don't just get smoked right off the bat. Cause it'll just make it harder for more teams like that to get in. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I guess the final thing that we'll, we'll talk about with Ohio state before we get into the other part of college football that is fun at this time of the year, the coaching changes happening across the country is this, Zach. We've, we've, we've beat this team up. We've called them out. What are two things? What are some of the causes for optimism going into next year? And the second thing is, what does Ryan Day as the head coach and CEO need to do between year five and six now to understand and get this, not this, this game, but Ohio State back on track? Because the truth is, is love them or hate them. One thing Urban Meyer didn't do was he what he did not he was not a player's coach. He, he he was hard on people, and I think it brought the best. You know, and a lot of the players I talked to said that if you weren't insecure, that having Urban kick your ass all the time was the best motivator. And Zach, you can attest to it as a coach. Yeah, was the best motivator that you can have. From everything I hear, Ryan's a player's coach. He he takes a different approach and style to this. Does he need to make some changes? And what are those changes he needs to make to kind of take that next step as a coach? Well, I I think he he's got to be hard on his quarterback. And and you know it's gonna th- this whole thing is gonna hinge on who's taking the snap at Ohio State next year and and what type of player is that? Is is Devin Brown or Kyle McCord? Are they a, a nationally relevant quarterback? Are they gonna get coached extremely hard? Because you kind of will look at this and it's it's easy to say 
though the program's gone soft, Ryan's a player's coach, and I, I, I don't disagree with any of it. But when Justin Fields was the quarterback, this was a tough-ass football team. This was, I mean, you said all the opposites. And, and I don't think Ryan and Mickey Marotti changed much over the years other than they were dealing with a different type of quarterback that if you're going to be critical, I think Ryan should have just coached the shit out of C.J. Stroud and tried to thrust him into the crucible and come out a tougher, more fiery competitor. He might have transferred then, and then you're in a shitstorm because I don't know if they had another guy who could play, and that was what Ryan was balancing. But I think it's gonna it's gonna come down to the quarterback position. It's honestly terrifying because you look at Penn State, what they have. I mean, they just their their top ten pick tackle just announced he's coming back. They have a true freshman running back who was one of the best in the Big Ten. Drew Aller, Allen, like all these players. Penn State looks like they're gonna be loaded, and that Michigan team we just watched, pretty much all of them are coming back. That whole team comes yeah. back. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, you bring up a great transition uh, transition here um, on, on coaching hires, right, mm-hmm. and the impact that it's going to have. Um, you guys both saw the news. Big Ten just added, you know, some firepower, all-star power from a coaching perspective. Nobody that spent time in Matt Rule's programs or Coach Fickle's programs can say that these guys don't deserve elite programs and aren't elite coaches. So to to add to your point, Zach, now you've got two programs with the addition of USC, Partha, who you mentioned earlier. Um, things don't get easier; they get harder. Yeah, and that's why it's like, what do we need to do? It's not just about mi- beating Michigan anymore. It's about how do you week in and week out do what Alabama does in the SEC. There are not going to be as many gimmies in this conference where it's just Ohio State and Michigan anymore. So it's not just the toughness is not just about the Michigan game. It's about how do you get the program week in to week, week in and week out to approach every game the same way and be tough, mentally tough and physically. Yeah, I, it, it all comes down to the offseason. It all comes down to your assistant coaches, right? It's, it's a formula that's as old as the hills, as they say. Your assistant coach, you have to have an all-star coaching staff that coaches the shit out of your their players. And then you have to have a tough offseason program that develops toughness. Those are the two things you just, it's never not going to be true. You have to do those, have those two things. Should Ryan give up offensive play calling? I've not, well be- not from what I saw on film. I mean, it was a lack of execution. I mean, if he gives up play calling, that's fine. I mean, if he did do it, I don't, I wouldn't be mad about it. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> if the quarterback coach doesn't get the quarterback right, the receiver coach doesn't get the receivers to block. You know, the, the tight end coach doesn't get the tight end. Kate Stover played his worst game as a Buckeye. Like, if those things don't happen, I don't care who's calling the plays. It's not going to go well. Yeah, yeah from yeah. a business perspective, in part that you can speak to this as well, as if, if you're looking at the head coach as the CEO of a program, right? If those guys does that by giving up something like offensive play calling, bringing in someone that you trust, can you then, as Ryan Day, focus more attention on making sure all the other coaches are doing their jobs? And being on them versus being the one that's responsible every week to implement the game plan offensively as well, you have the ability to hold your coaches as accountable. It's a, it's a philosophical question more so than a talent question. What's best um, in this scenario as a CEO of a corporation um, to handle the, the scenario and situation at hand? Uh, what would you think, Partha? Well, I mean, I think overall, there's just there's so many variables here that 
unfortunately, like we don't know from the outside in, right? Like we don't have insights into what's happening in the locker room. We don't have insights into a lot of this. The thing that you brought this up earlier, V, the thing that was like really disappointing to me was Guy Scott's headbutt in that Michigan game. Um, this is a kid who you guys follow him on YouTube. He's got a vlog. You know, he seems like a really good kid, honestly. And when we got to the game, I pointed him out to my girlfriend. I was just like, I watched this guy on YouTube. Like, I'm really glad to be able to watch him play. And to see somebody like that who's, you know, have has the privilege essentially of representing this program on a major scope, not just on the field, but also on the internet to millions of people to then conduct themselves that way. To me, it was just like, you know, this question of is it the program or is it the times we're in? Is it the sentiment in Ohio? Like, um, I, I was mentioning this to Zach before before we started recording B. But this was one of the quieter crowds I've been around at Ohio State. When there was that very BS pass interference call, there was one guy with an earshot of me that was upset about it and screamed at the ref. And that was like not what I'm used to at Ohio Stadium, you know? So I feel like there's so much going on here with the program, so much going on with the shift of power balance in the Big Ten and everything that's happened in the coaching sphere that I'm just really curious to see how this thing plays out. Cause you know, we have two dots right now, three dots in a line is a trend. Two dots is a pattern, right? And if we see a trend, we're going to have to buck the trend. But right now we have a pattern. I think we just have to observe a little bit longer to see if it turns into a trend. That's yeah. That's very well said. Makes sense. Very well, very well said. And you know, that is the thing, you know, and you brought up the fans. I think it's important to know how to be critical of your team and have high expectations, but still support your team through that adversity. That's what football is. That's what sports is. That's what it's supposed to teach young kids growing up. And to your point, Partha, this is a trend that I've noticed. I'm sure Zach has noticed. And it's it's kind of the same deal when you Part of the beauty of going to an Ohio State game or Cleveland Browns game was the kid who, you know, the parent who worked at a factory could afford a ticket to take his two kids to the game on Saturday or Sunday. It's becoming so corporate now where just getting in the stadium costs you $175. And you're not talking about a deck. I saw tickets in C deck going for this over the weekend. It's an understanding that we as a program at Ohio State, and and I feel this as an alum, Zach, I know you feel this even though you weren't an alum, you grew up as a Buckeye, as as close to this program, and Partha, same, you're not an alum, but you grew up as a Buckeye. What the common thread with being a Buckeye, I think, has gotten lost. We're not interconnected anymore as fans, as, as a program, and as players. Everybody seems to be acting like, what's in it for me? And it's not just at Ohio State, but it's a disturbing trend for me that's very disappointing about the culture of college football that I'm seeing, um, not not just here, but in many places. Yeah, it, it's, I, I mean, it just, Ohio State has has had leadership issues at the top for a long time. I mean, from board of trustees to to big time boosters. I mean, you look at now, now the president just essentially got fired for God knows what impropriety that she she was partaking in. It's just 
they're out of touch. It's just reality. They're out of touch when it comes to ticket prices, stadium atmosphere. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the way from the amount of money it costs to go to a game to the DJ they put in the stadium. I mean, it's, and everything in between. Ohio State's just out of touch. Yeah, and on the flip, I would say that's where Michigan and Harbaugh have, have been very much in touch, you know, with even mm-hmm. um, the DJs they bring into the stadium. You know, V and I work with one of them. They're very on point, honestly, with knowing what's hot in culture to get the right folks in that stadium making making it trend. And like even out here when I wear my Ohio State stuff, if I go to something that's like more kind of like a culturally forward kind of like uh, L.A. creative community scene or actors or musicians, people are going to be Michigan fans, not because they have any affiliation to Michigan, but because they saw Harbaugh at an event recently or because their friend is friends with the DJ who goes to the Michigan games or because their other celebrity friends want to go. And he's created like essentially to me, like what Ohio state has had for so long, a lot in part because of LeBron and, you know, kind of other big names that have been able to shine the light on the program. But I think we're at an inflection point where Ohio has been this very central part of sports culture and sports narrative for so long. And I think that, the Ohio narrative really needs to be redefined as to what it means to be from there because the industry has changed. The culture has changed. This was a very purple state. Now it's very, very red comparatively. Michigan's gotten very blue. It was always leaning blue, but was closer to to purple than than it is now. Um, Lots of changes, honestly, in the job market there as well. So I think like part of the challenge, you know, for me is like I... I grew up here and obviously I feel very, very positively about the state. And then, you know, when you go back, you're just constantly reminded of, you know, what you pointed out be the commercialization, the amount of corporates that have have gotten themselves into the mix. And it's like I think about if you were like an original Golden State Warriors fan. Now, what is it like now that the team has moved away from Oakland and you can't afford the tickets and, you know, you didn't get rewarded for all your years of showing up when they were bad because now you can't afford the tickets when they're good. And they act like it's a really great thing for the community, but it's not in reality. It's a really great thing for a few people with money. And you know, I, I don't want to see Ohio State go that way, but I think that that's the trend right now with these uh, sports markets because of the recent commercialization due to NIL and a lot of people seeing the, the opportunity to make some money there. Yeah, I mean, this is an area that I have a lot of insight into because I worked for many years with the fan experience department and the athletic department on some of these things. You know, Mecca and I did that. And actually how we ended up meeting Zach yeah. um, is, and this is why, you know, I think Ryan Day has a lot of people he can lean on. The thing that was very apparent to me, and this is why I have so much admiration and respect for Urban Meyer, despite everybody has flaws, but he cared about every single detail of the program. He cared about the, the the graphics that Sammy Silverman was pointing out. He cared about the DJ that was that was was performing. He cared about making sure that that we would not have think about it a school like Ohio State. They would never have embraced having a rapper create a song under any other coach or any other administration, but they put the trust in Urban. Part of what Urban did was he negotiated the leverage to have control, complete control and autonomy about the development of the football program. And because of that, every single detail mattered 
in developing the culture of the program. And I think it's important for Ryan Day, and that's also part of the reason I'm I'm having this question about play calling. There's so many details that are important to make sure your program is on top of everything. Maybe if he does that, because we can get any offensive coordinator we want, and he can train them in in his culture and his philosophy. There's so much to being a head coach at a college football program that I think it might be helpful. It's just a thought that I have in terms of how do we get better. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think that's a great point, V. And there's a there's a lot of ways to go, but I think the definite consensus amongst Ohio State fans is we do have a ways to go. We have a journey in front of us, and we all got to kind of start asking the tough questions, holding everybody accountable um, for the results, and just really doing what we can as a collective to get better. And I think you know we'll be led by um, by the tone that Ryan Day sets at the end of the day, the way that he comes comes out after this game, and you know wherever his next media or interview or whatever it is when they've had time to process, I think the way he answers questions, the way CJ Stroud answers questions will be very telling to us about the tone, the toughness and the mental uh, fortitude of this program and, you know, whether it's on the right track or not. Yeah. And I think you, you bring up a, another great point part though, And it's like, it's not about us. It's not about the AD. It's not about the school. It's not about the fans holding anyone accountable. It's about every single person that has a vested interest, whether it's the tight ends coach to Ryan Day, the head coach. Are you holding yourself accountable? I don't really care what you say in media sessions, but what you're saying about CJ and sometimes how Ryan answers questions as well is are you answering the question because you know what the expected answer is? Or are you really trying to say, hey, this is my fault? Because at the end of the day, all any of us can control. And one of the reasons I have a lot of respect for you, Zach, is you've taken, you know, you've taken accountability and figured shit out in your life, despite the cards in the hand that you were dealt. And I think that we're losing that in society. Football mm-hmm. is kind of, that's what football was. <clears throat> Be tough. You're going to get punched in the jaw, but can you get up? And I think culturally with everything that's going on in college football, there's so much fear of, of just taking that ownership and accountability that people just don't do it because they're worried about what's going to happen if they do it. Well, and, yeah. and you know, <clears throat> this is college athletics or anything. It's hard to change, right? If you're CJ Stroud and you're not, <clears throat> you know, maybe you're not that tough or you're, you're not that competitive or, you know, you don't have a good demeanor. It's really hard to change. I mean, it takes an unbelievable amount of, of adversity and, and honestly, self-awareness to make the decision to, to, to change and to enhance and to grow. And to your point, I mean, one of the hardest things for people to do for some reason is have honest conversation with kids, especially like to sit CJ Stroud down and say, listen, you're not going to play very long in this game the way you're playing it. You're not very good at X, Y, Z. Let's make a plan and do that. It's hard to sit down and look at somebody and say, hey, you suck at this, by the way. But honestly, it's what they need to hear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the truth, right? It's like, if you can't be real with yourself, like to start with, then you have nowhere you can grow to. You know, it, it's a right. It's not something you expect out of all 20, 22 year olds either. You know, and I think there's some there's some grace to be afforded there. But ultimately for for cj and for everybody else like 
you don't want to see them come out of a loss saying I did everything I could and we lost when you know the the ending was so abysmal but you want to see someone come out of that situation situation and say hey I put in a lot of work and it clearly wasn't enough I need to get way better and I'm going to go look for more ways that I can get better that are way different than what I did to prepare for this cuz clearly it's not working that that answer makes every fan every coach happy and then people want to help but it's like if you can't recognize that something's not right because the results aren't what you wanted then you have nowhere you can you can improve and i think like you know that's the the before the game dances like the posting you know on social media all that stuff is cool if you get the win but it becomes really uncool the second you lose yep yep there's no doubt yep. about it and the truth is, like in, in a tough business, um, you get paid to be held accountable. Like if you don't win, if you're getting paid what these coaches are getting paid and you lose, I do think that these contracts and these programs, and to your point, Partha and, and Zach, you, you've, you've mentioned this as well, is, is the collusion just about making sure we make, a, make as much money as possible? It can't be that because why can't we hold our coaches accountable? And say if we're going to pay you nine million dollars a year, or six and a half, or seven, whatever it's, whatever you're getting paid, that there are some results that are to be expected. If you don't finish in the top three in the conference, why can't these clauses be put in where you don't? It's not just about bonuses, but accountability in the sense of there's a price to pay for you not getting certain results because these contracts are guaranteed. Um, look at what happened with Matt Rule. He failed at Carolina. He just walks into an eighty-five million dollar contract. Yeah, like that's not a good precedent to be setting with adults either. We can hold the. It's up to the kids. And and Zach, you've said this, and we've had these conversations. There's a responsibility you have as a program when you take the responsibility of someone's eighteen-year-old kid when they're developing into men and saying we're going to be the ones that are responsible. Send them to Ohio State from Georgia, California, Texas. We're taking this responsibility on. There's an expectation that comes with that that I think is being lost as well. Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah, that's well said, man. Well, I think that kind of gets us to uh, to the end of this segment. Um, you know, obviously, hearts hearts a little broken here and all across uh, all across Buckeye Nation. So, you know, sending out those condolences to everybody, but. Uh, there's uh there's always a new day there's always more to look forward to and you guys um uh, you know you had mentioned McCord uh for next year i also just want to want to say I, I think Rayola might be able to get there we'll see he's got the size for it to be able to step in and take over we'll see if he has the skill for it but it's an exciting future for us with no real clear line of sight as to where things might go from here and i think that's almost like that's almost more fun sometimes than when you know you're going to win every game. boys, we get on up. We get on up.